The reason people aren't financially free is they don't know what to do and they don't know where to start. I want you to join Joey and I at the Virtual Inner Circle Live April the 4th through the 6th as we share with you the exact answers to those questions. We only do this event one time per year. I don't want you to miss out. Go to westwatwallstreet.com forward slash live and enter promo code podcast. When you're at this event, you're going to get your investor DNA. You're going to get access to up to six different passive income strategies. So you know, leaving this event, exactly what to do, taking our decades of knowledge so that you can start becoming financially free. Go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash live and enter the promo code podcast. Stallion, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Eric, this morning, and he said something to me I think applies today's podcast so well. Here's what he said. He said, man, I have been so frustrated lately with a lot of the people, the vendors in my life, not connecting the dots, not understanding what I really want from them and how they can best serve me. I said, give me an example. He goes, take my yard people, for example. He goes, I've been paying these people for years, for years to help me have a lush green yard. Like I want this thing to be a prize winning yard for the neighborhood, right? I want the beautification award in the yard. Who doesn't and, want that, right? And, and I'm well, a lot of people don't want it because they don't do anything about it. Well, maybe they want it, but they don't do anything about it, right? But exactly. the, he's like, I've been paying them. I've been literally paying them. And it's just been frustrating because they're not delivering the product I want. He said, I finally get on the phone with them. I have a conversation with them. And I'm like, hey, what is it going to take to make this thing like the best looking yard around? And they're like, oh, well, I guess you need to do A, B, and C. He's like, well, why haven't you told me that? They're like, well, we've been, you know, putting fertilizer on the yard. We've been spraying for weeds. It's like, that's not what I was paying for. I wasn't paying you to, to spray weeds. I wasn't paying you for fertilizer. The only reason I'm paying you is to have an amazing looking yard. And I think that that connects to what we're talking about today. But I, before I share my insight on that, I'd love to hear yours. I think that reminds me of another story. Uh, one of the guys in our mastermind that came to us, he's doing a lot of things. He was actually investing in a lot of different places. And I think he could check the box and say, oh, I've got syndications. Oh, I've done some land flipping. Oh, I've done this. I've done that. But he still came to us because he was trying to solve a bigger problem. And that was, I want to be financially free from my day job. And all these things I was doing, I was checking boxes, but they weren't cohesively coming together in a holistic plan to get me my end result. And I think, you know, today people are putting money in places that they think are good for them, that someone has told them, oh, you put your check in and your savings in the bank. You put money in retirement for 401ks and IRAs. You save for college and 529 plans but they're still frustrated because the end result they're looking for is actually not happening. And I think when you start seeing uncertainty and things like the banking system, my hope is that people are waking up and saying, maybe my plan isn't so holistic. Maybe it isn't giving me the result that I want. And this is just one of those reasons that they will engage in our process and actually find what they're looking for. I think what you just said there sums up what I was talking about in the end with engagement, right? Like this is a participatory sport. That's a hard word to say, participatory. 
participatory. <laughs> that is a participatory sport, man. Wealth building is. You can't get away from it. We've checked boxes. Oh, I'm going to save for kids college. Oh, there's a box to check. Hey, I want to um, have money when I can retire at some point in the future. Check box. Hey, I'm going to buy some life insurance. I'm going to use these wealth without Wall Street guys stuff with infinite making. Check box. Hey, I want to uh, build passive income. Where can I check a box here? And when things don't work out to plan, they wonder what happened, right? I'm going to be an absentee owner in my finances. And I think that that's where you have to check yourself and say, am I engaging in a process to be involved? You don't have to be the one doing everything. That's that's the a misnomer there. But you do need to be involved. Passive income doesn't mean uninvolved. And I think the reason that we have so many people that reach out to us who have been doing one of many things out there, right, have been checking boxes, they realize that their quote-unquote partner in the game, their advisor up to that point, checked a box, got them the thing that they asked for, got them the weed killer, right? Right. So, sold them a monthly fertilizer, whatever it was. But they never felt like the grass was so green. Not that the grass is greener over here. I'm not saying that. <laughs> But what I'm saying is that they never got engaged and involved and most likely because there was not an opportunity for them to do that. And I think today's podcast is we break down what we're doing in light of all the chaos happening is to say you got to get involved. Had we not been involved, had we not been engaged in building passive income, the bank failures, the potential market crashes, all of that would have created chaos in our life. Here's a saying I love to repeat over and over again. There's no such thing as good or bad news. It's only news. It's how you are prepared for it, whether it'll be good or bad for you. So when you get engaged, you get involved, you can be prepared for the news. And it may be bad for your neighbor, it may be bad for your friends, but could be amazingly good for you. Joey, let's jump in right now to our, uh, our passive income report as we talk about how we are handling the bank failing in 2023. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now, here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. All right, Stallion, we got a lot to cover today as it pertains to what's going on in the world of finance, right? That's Banks right. are failing. You know, SVB um, is in Chapter 11. That's having ripple effects throughout the financial markets. It's creating a lot of concern, right? People are wondering, hey, what I thought to be safe right now doesn't feel so safe anymore. What should I do? So we need to, we need to touch on that. We need to talk about what we are doing in light of that, right? Because we've talked about using lines of credit, which is actually using banks. <laughs> Does that pose a risk to us? That's right? right. We 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 love that infinite bank um, helps us stay out of the fray. It, it allows us to have access to cash. But then, how does that measure up when we're tying it to banks? We need to make sure we address that risk because there is a risk when you talk about what it is and how to mitigate it potentially. And then let's also talk about things that we're doing this year. Like, what? how are we 
taking all of this chaos in the market and finding ways to use experience just to add into new sectors. Is that cool? Absolutely. And, and by the way, don't forget, we need to address the FDIC issue. Mm. There's so many people throwing around this this FDIC as if it is. Yeah. Well, good news is we have FDIC. And I, and I want us to address why that may or may not be 100 uh, percent, you know, something to fail, fail back on. Okay. All right. Where do you want to start? I'm going to, I'm going to let you lead here because I, I, I don't know. I, I have a tendency to, to take us and derail us. Where, where do you think we should start? <laughs> all right. Well, number one, I think we just need to address, first of all, the issue. You and I are not experts on the way that the bank situation is unfolding. It, it would be impossible. And I don't want to mislead. Like we have, we have just been on the receiving end of learning about these things We've known that there's something that's underlying in this in this sector that has not been healthy for a long time. So I'm not surprised, and nor are you, that there has been some upheaval. But we don't want to pretend like we have like a crystal ball and know exactly how this is going to unfold. But I do think that we should address it from the standpoint of what do people need to do as a result? And then what are we learning real time? on how it could or could not affect you. I think that we should start there. Well, just some basics, super high level. This is not the actual technical thing, but I think for for the purposes of our discussion, I'm gonna like lay it out simple. If you haven't really understood what's happening to the banks, why are these banks failing? Here's a very simplified uh, approach to what's going on. One, banks have to have deposits in order to lend against those deposits. Those deposits then act as capital for the bank, and then they go out and lend money to everyone else, and that's how they make money, right? Banks have a liability to us as depositors, and then their asset is when they're lending money. And and there's ratios that are governing how much that they can do it. And I think it's like 10 to 1. Now, that number can get inflated over time because as those um, payments come back to the bank and the uh, from those loans, they actually now those loans – sit on the bank's deposit uh, in, in their accounts, and then they can start lending against those. And so it really can get um, much greater than that. Well, banks have to take those deposits and they just don't sit on cash. So that's why, you know, the old, old days of, you know, going and robbing the bank, like, uh, really banks is like, well, cause that's where they keep the money. But that's not <laughs> really true anymore. Right? Like you go down to the bank, I don't know what's in, in any given bank, but my guess it's way less than like a hundred thousand. It is not that much money at all. So what, where do they put their cash? Well, they're having to go out and buy bonds, usually treasury bonds. And a large of the banks over the last couple of years have been buying treasury bonds, 10 year bonds. Well, simple uh, background on how a bond works. If I buy a bond for a thousand dollars and it's given me a 2% coupon rate. That's the interest rate, right? So I'm I'm getting this payment every single year for the 10 years. And then at the end of 10 years, I'm gonna get my $1,000 back. Well, that's great. Now, what's happened is, is interest rates have risen. Let's just pretend they went from 2% to 4%. Well, now, if I, if I hold the bond, I'm going to get 2% and I'm going to sell it for $1,000 at the end of 10 years. But if for any reason I need to sell the bond today, I'm competing against bonds that are selling and paying 4%. 
So I'm not going to be able to sell Stallion my bond for $1,000, am I? No. Well, I'm going to have to sell it for a discount. I'm going to have to sell it for $800, $700. Depends on the math, right? Right. Well, so that's really what just happened to SVB. SVB was sitting there. there the, the, the loans that they had outstanding was way up here. Their deposits were here, and the deposits kept going down. And so that gap got wider. So they were forced to say, we have to raise capital. So now in order to do that, they have to sell off those bonds. Well, as soon as they go to sell those bonds, they're worth 60 cents on the dollar. Well, now they're what was on the balance sheet was a dollar, now 60 cents. And we're talking in billions of dollars. So then two days in a row, the stock nosedive like 60%. And everybody else says, wait a second, I got my money at that bank. That bank's getting ready to go under. What do I do? I better go get it. And so they they literally pull a, um, you know, example, what's the the holiday movie we all watch with um, the, the run on the bank? It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life, yeah. You, you remember that example where it's everybody's there and he's like, I don't have your money. Your money's in this person's house and your exactly. money's over here. This. Well, that's what happens. And so now they get all the little money that's there and they have to they have to shut the doors. Well, that creates an environment of uncertainty. And now we all start questioning, what do we do with money? And now all of us who've put money in our life insurance policies for all these years are going, how's that going to impact the insurance company? So Stallion, how does all of this crisis impact the insurance companies in your understanding? So in my, in my understanding is that the insurance companies are dramatically more safe uh, place for these for the, our money to be stored because they do not operate under the same fractional reserve banking guidelines. Like you just mentioned a one to 10 ratio. I can lend out $10 for every dollar I have on deposit. That is not the case with insurance companies. They are regulated at a much higher, um, uh, how would you say it, level. Like they're, they have to keep at least $1 for each dollar in deposit in reserve. And many of the insurance carriers that we've worked with over the years have well more than that one-to-one ratio. And so that that gives us a lot of, like, let, let's just say this, in my in the back of my brain, I'm, I'm talking, uh, and talking this out and saying, well, what is the worst case situation in a bunch of like the financial sector failing? Well, at the very least, the insurance company is the last thing to fall. It doesn't mean that they are completely isolated and could not have anything happen to them, but they are going to be based on just the pure um, way that they operate. They would be one of the last things or institutions to fall. And even in, in past history, if there has been an insurance company to fail, it's been very rare, but in that event, they've had a larger company come and take them over. Um, with, you know, essentially keeping your contracts in place and, and maintaining those essentially as grandfathered in from the previous carrier. So that to me is giving me, a you know, a, first of all, this is not just from you and I, this is from the, the clients that we've worked with over the years are reaching out to us proactively right now saying, I am so grateful I've set up this system of all these policies against uh, for my family that I have the liquidity, I have the safety, all the things I was looking for are now becoming like more and more important to me, seeing all these banks failing around. 
Well, so give you a little more context to that. So banks can lend up to 10 times for every dollar they have on deposits. Insurance companies cannot. No one else can. It's illegal to do that <laughs> for everyone else except banks, right? So that's the reason why insurance companies are more solvent. That's why you don't find insurance companies failing. It's because they... They don't have this debt to equity ratio like SVB had 185 times the amount of money on loan outstanding than they had for a deposit. $185 was lent out. That was their total liabilities against their shareholder equity. That's a, a really big number, right? So insurance companies can have that. That's one of the reasons. So for us, we do hold lots of cash at the banks. If you've listened to our show for any length of time, you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to use that concept to create over $50,000 a month in passive income. But it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system? Stallion, that's why we created the passive income operating system, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income it makes all the steps come together if you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener we've never given this away in public before go to whatwhatwallstreet.com forward slash p-i-o-s there was nothing worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying pop quiz day why because you were unprepared are you unprepared though for financial freedom don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30-second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz. I do want to address something, though, Stallion. You and I have been talking about our passive income operating system. And right. if you haven't already downloaded the ebook, go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash P-I-O-S and take a, take, take a gander deck. This is the process of how you turn active income into passive income. Now, within that, though, we talk about something that we do, which has been utilizing a life insurance line of credits, where we went to a bank and we said, hey, Joey and I have over 40 different life insurance policies. We, we insure like over, what, 15 lives, something like that. And we, we want to simplify our life by not having to go take loans from every single uh, insurance contract we have when we want to invest in a multifamily deal, or if we want to do more land flipping, or we want to a short terminal, or Joey needs money to shore up, you know, a hundred unicorns balance sheet, whatever it may be, right? <laughs> it, it made it simpler for us to have one checkbook that gave us the ability to write off all of those insurance contracts combined. Now, it was actually one, Joey and I know we share the same brain. We don't share the same bank accounts. So we have multiple different lines. But one of the things that came up through this process is we started evaluating the potential risk of having our life insurance companies, the, the, the contracts we have, collaterally assigned to these banks to have the line of credit. What would happen if the bank in which we were using for our line of credit went into bankruptcy, would how long would that tie up my access to cash? So Joey, what have we found out in this process of trying to go yeah. through and, and figure out what, what sort of risk are we taking and do we need to exit that approach? Well, and, and so just as a little background, all of our liquidity are in insurance policies. Right. There is no like, oh, we have, 
you know, some money in insurance policies and some in these brokerage accounts. Like we're wealth without Wall Street. Okay, we have nothing else besides our investments that are off of Wall Street and these this reservoir of cash that is in policies. Well, so, well, can, can I scrub your language there? Because I do want to be. Every time we talk about this, I want to make sure the person who's listening to this for the first time, we don't have not one dollar in a life insurance policy. There's not one single dollar in any life insurance policy. Where's our that 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 contract, the policy that they they send you in the mail or it's in it's in your inbox? How much cash is in that policy? Nothing. Zero. Our our money's where? At the insurance company. At the insurance company, right? Okay. That's what so, we invested in. Yeah, thank you for busting my nuggets on that uh, unnecessarily, but I appreciate it. The point is, all of our liquidity is in there. So we think about this in, in the sense of if that line of credit were to get seized, shut down, um, it really shut down is not a big problem because they would just issue the collateral assignments back to the insurance company. They would, they would be lost and we would just do business directly with the insurance company for loans and everything else. But in the event, Russ brought this up to me a few week, uh, about a week ago. What if they went into bankruptcy and that line was just stuck? We couldn't get access to it. We couldn't update it. We couldn't like if all that stuff was stuck for any long period of time, we would be in a lot of trouble. And so actually, I talked to the bank that we work with and I said, wait a minute, what would happen in the event of a bankruptcy at your bank? And would I would those collateral assignments immediately go back, uh, you know, be lost and I go directly to the insurance company? Is there any language about that? And he said, no. He said, but he reminded me of something that happened back when I was at Wells Fargo in 2008, 2009. All these banks start failing. What happened? The bigger banks, the regulars come in, take over, like seize the bank. And within a matter of days, that bank is now under or has been sold to or, or I guess swallowed up by a larger bank. Those deposits, those um, liabilities, everything else that goes with that bank goes to the new bank. And he gave the example of BB&T Bank taking over Colonial Bank. That was here locally in, in Birmingham. I got to see that firsthand. He said, in that situation, the bank literally took two days where they were offline, so to speak, and uh, they still operated, but they asked their, their um, you know, depositors to give them a couple days to work this out. And then uh, everybody stayed on that worked there. All of the... Um, all of the terms and conditions of the loans and things that were on the books stayed the same, even though there was new ownership in place. And he said, so there may be, if there was ever a, a bank failure with the line of credit that we have, there may be a short window of time, just like he explained, where the new bank would have to take over and that would be kind of seized or, or you know, you couldn't touch into it or whatever, but it wouldn't be a long-term thing. Now, I'm taking that with a grain of salt, Russ, just so you know. And I'm saying, okay, that does remind me of what happened back then. That doesn't mean that that would happen the next time. So I'm not necessarily just taking that as the gospel and saying, oh, well, this is what would happen. Okay, but I, I am trying my... to, what? Well, I was uh, going to say, let me, I want to draw a picture here. Not a, not a pretty picture. And this is why you watch this on YouTube, okay. right? Okay, so go for it. You can visualize this. Because for, for those of us who are very visual, like me, what Joey just said 
may or may not make sense. So I want to I want to clarify what's happening, and then let's talk about what the potential risk is because we always need to understand what the risk is so we can make good financial decisions behind it. Well, this is what we were talking about before. We make premium into life insurance policies. We have all of these insurance policies that are out there, and we have 40-something, right? And those deposits are made into insurance companies. And we we work with six different insurance companies, Joey. We have life insurance contracts with over six. I think it's six. It may be seven now. I can't remember. And what we have done is normally, right, before we learned about this strategy, if we wanted to take a loan, we would go to the insurance company. They would use the cash value that was a, that was in these insurance contracts and say, yeah, we'll loan you money against um, that 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 value. And, and they would just deposit it in our own personal bank account and we would go. And it was right. fine, right? And especially when we had one, two, three, four policies, uh, like it was really simple. You know, if I needed 200,000 and only had 50,000 in each one, I'd have to take a loan from all four, right? right. If I only needed 50,000, I could just take it from one. But it got to the point where when we started, you know, with all of our cash, when we started buying assets, right? When we started creating cash flow, it's like, well, okay, the time that we took three loans from three different insurance contracts, we have loans against three different insurance contracts, and we're sending back a thousand dollars a month. Do we just send back a, a third, a third, a third? But you know, actually, we end up taking fifty out of one and twenty-five out of the next two. It, it just made our lives harder. And what right. happens when things get harder? you do less, right? In action, you get confused, right? We get complacent. And the whole purpose of the pious of the passive income operating system was to speed it up because our goal is to get to where our financial freedom is defined when we have more passive income than we have monthly expenses. True? That's right. Well, so the way that we did that is that we went to a bank who said, yeah, I would happily give you a loan against all of the cash values that you have at these different insurance companies. And we had to fill out paperwork, get our, our, our spouses and other things. And, and we were able to combine it, which simplified our life even that much further. Cause Joey, I don't know about you, but my, like my wife owns a couple insurance policies and, and having to have her sign the paperwork every single time, you know, we were taking a loan to go buy something new. It would, what, what if she wasn't there? What if she was on vacation that time? That's right. right? So this simplified the life. Well, we went to the bank and they gave us a line of credit, which gave us this little checkbook, which allowed us with that checkbook to be able to immediately take advantages of opportunities. Now, I, here's, I like that little checkbook. That's that's cute how you, you did that. You, you like that? Yeah, it's yeah. so good. I, I, for those who are not watching, <laughs> I am the worst drawer. But because I have that, it simplified my life to be able to make financial decisions immediately. And I could do wires or ACHs or whatever I needed to out of there. Well, here's where we just we understood what the risk potentially was. What happens if this bank files for bankruptcy, right? Whether it's Chapter 7, Chapter 11, 13, whatever it may be. If they go into bankruptcy of any sort... Now, this collateral assignment exists, and I'm just going to use, let's say that we have, you know, $5 million in cash values over here against our, in our life insurance contracts. So we, over here, the bank won't give us all access to all $5 million, but maybe they gave us $4.8 million worth of 
lines of credit, right? So this is our, our line of credit available or not available. This is our credit limit, right? 4.8 million. And then if maybe we, we've been taking out loans and so we have loans outstanding for, you know, 2 million. So our available credit would be the difference between the 4.8, right? And the 2 million. So for those keeping uh, keeping track at home, that's 2.8 million staying. Now, if this bank goes into chapter 11, what happens? Do I, I can't go back to this insurance company and say, hey, um, I have a loan with these banks for $2 million. Um, but they're, they're, you know, I can't, I can't write any more checks against my, my checkbook over here because they've shut the doors and they, they, they've closed access to those accounts for right now. Right. But I, I have another 2.8 million and I have this investment opportunity. I want to go ahead and uh, take a loan against the insurance cash values I have over here. What are they going to say? Do it now. <laughs> Good. I hope I hope you guys are listening better than my <laughs> my, my co-host at this point. <laughs> Good gravy, man. I'm sorry. It, Catch it, me it, up. <laughs> what they're going to say is, I'm sorry, you have a collateral assignment against that that says we have to check with this bank first before we can issue out any loans against your contract. Now, why would they do that? Why why does that exist at the insurance company? Why why would why do they have to go to whoever the collateral assignment is against it before they could give us the owner of the insurance contract access to any more money? Because they don't want it to be double dipped, so to speak. Right. If, if we had all four point eight million dollars loaned out, and we came over here and got another million dollars in loans, now we've got five point eight million out, but only five million total value. Right. They would That's be right. upside down. Remember, insurance not lend out more money than what they have on deposit. Hundred percent. So we cannot borrow money against our life insurance policy debt does not exist. So when people right. talk about how do they use infinite banking, you have to have the money there. So that's the first reason why we have to understand the risk that exists at, when we're using lines of credit is that if this bank goes under, it doesn't matter how much we have available over here on our line. We have to assume the bank is going or the insurance company is going to assume Every dollar has been out. And until that bank is operational and can confirm or allow us to release this line of credit, which all that means would if we had a, a $2 million loan, the bank would take a, a $2 million loan against our, our life insurance contract value and send it to this bank, eliminating that loan, putting the loan on the insurance company uh, or against oh, our man. life insurance policies. And now we're released, which right. again, if somebody is working at the bank and can process that, that happens. So here's a couple of things which you were just talking about. One is that what you found is that the, the guy who had been working at a bank that was, you know, a sister bank to uh, one that went under said, actually what happened when that bank failed, everything continued as normal. There was a couple of day process where they were having to transfer it over to a new bank that came in and took them over. Is that a big issue for us? No, it's not no. a big issue. That would be simple. Another thing I heard is, well, I mean, think about whoever's taking over this bank. 
they need cash. So if we go to the bank and say, hey, we want to go ahead and pay you $2 million and uh, take this loan off your books, that takes a loan off the books, liability goes down, and we give you cash, asset goes up. That would make sense. They would want to do that. The, so I, I believe it's not a, it not a major problem, but we needed to understand what that risk was, and we want to make sure we verbalize it to you because right. we don't know, right? I mean, who knows how long it takes for that bank to be operational? And if we don't know, that could be a problem. Exactly. So we'll keep you updated as we un unravel this and learn more, but we want to at least give you a heads up. Now, we're almost out of time, Russ, and we haven't talked at all about what does that mean with all this uncertainty in the market? What does it mean for us in terms of passive income going forward? And what do you think people can do um, in light of it? So I think the first thing that I'll do is I'll quickly share with you um, our report from February. And I'm not going to go into detail, um, like super detail, but I'm going to just give you the high level. Um, our land business continues to be amazing. Uh, we're sitting at net income from that gross income, 24921 net income, 17444 This is at thelandgeek.com. If you haven't already learned how to flip land, uh, it is an amazing process. We have it done for us by the Land Geek team. Um, and you can get more information there if you want to learn more. But to me, this is the most solid thing that we do because it is hard assets that are tied to um, collateralized loans. And so we just got done talking about how a bank collateralizes these, uh, these insurance policies and does a loan. And they feel really confident about it. I feel really confident thinking like the bank when we're collateralized against raw land. Because what happens going forward if we see a major financial crisis here and people are having trouble paying us back on these land loans, what would happen to us, Russ? We would take the land back, which would be reducing how much our cost basis. So we paid you know, 5,000 for it and they paid us 1,000 back and they default. Now we take it back over and we go back and again, sell it for 15,000, but now we we get to keep the thousand that they paid us and we're gonna get the full 15,000 on the new one. Exactly, now we don't predicate our whole business model on the fact of people defaulting, but it happens. And in the event of a, a major economic collapse of some sort, there will be more defaults and we will get more of that land back and we will have a period of time where our income will dip as a result, but we will have all the hard assets to then go back to the marketplace with. That gives me a lot of peace of mind. And that's why one of the strategies this year that you and I are working on is building an additional fund to start to lend to land investors who are having success in the space and allow them to borrow from us because their biggest concern, their biggest need is they know the process, but their biggest need is for capital, working operational capital, because what they've done is they've taken, let's say, $10,000 worth of capital, went out and bought all these properties, and they've got them now set up on loans coming back to them monthly, and it's trickling back so that they have this immediate need for more capital to keep that process going. And we are in a position where we could do that and just supplement what we've already got with this done for you land business by 
doing more of what you know. That to me is the lesson. Well, is and here, we, we love land flipping. It's been successful. How can we do more of that instead of taking on some unnecessary additional risk in the light of uncertainty in the marketplace? Well, that's the, I think there's the, the point. Whenever there's uncertainty, that means things are going to go on sale. Yep. And when things are on sale, in order to purchase them means you have to have access to money, whether it's yours or someone else's. The banks are not going to be lending in the future. Mark it down. The days of easy money that we've experienced for the last 10 years are gone for a number of months, maybe a number of years. Interest rates are going to continue to stay high for a period of time. That means banks are going to be tight. They're not going to be lending against them. They're going to be encouraging deposits. They have to have those deposits. Otherwise, that, that margin is going to get worse. That, that debt to equity ratio is going to get greater, right? Do we know that that's the truth? So we better find ways to grab capital. Well, those who are have built a land business that are, are out there buying properties, they know people are getting antsy and now they're going to start to experience most likely a higher number of people willing to sell just so that those people can get cash and put it in their pocket. And so they're going to see their acceptance ratio on the number of um, mail outs Increasing. I'm already seeing it. I, I had a guy reach out to me the other day, said, Hey, I got eight properties that I can buy. I just don't have the cash. And I'm like, I can help you. Right. Because here's That's the right. thing is that we have cash. If you've been doing infinite banking for any length of time, you've been stacking cash. Right. But we, we, what we want to do is create financial freedom. That means we have to turn cash into cash flow. Right. Well, for us, because our experience is in this area, it gives us the ability to then take that cash, fund deals for people and get the cash flow, participate with them on the cash coming back as they sell them to be able to win. And I think as you look at our list here, there's lots of different things that we're doing, but it really irrelevant to what you're doing. You need to find areas in which you already have experience in and either go deeper in that or find little spinoffs of it, like what we're getting ready to do in the short-term rental space, Joey. That's right. Yeah. The, the thing I was going to point out about that is that this is a area uh, that you and I have invested a lot of time and energy and education in understanding the short-term rental market, understanding different models of short-term rentals. And so for us, we want to focus now on creating, going out and purchasing properties that meet our criteria of what we think the short-term rental business is going towards. And that's going to be larger homes in the Birmingham area and potentially some other destination locations, right? Um, lakes, beaches, mountains, so on, so on and so forth. But we're gonna look for ways to take advantage of the market where people could either sell it to us on subject to terms, owner financing, other creative ways that we can get the best possible deals on those properties and then use our, our, um, excuse me, our short-term rental experience to take it to the next level. That is a real focus for us over the next, you know, 24 months is to keep our eyes out for that. And as you can see in the month of February, um, we we netted uh, all in with the 25 units that we had. February is a historically really low month. We netted just under about 5000 after all expenses paid um, for that business. But 
you know, really looking forward to March, April, May. It's, it's definitely increasing as far as our local market. Well, and I think this gives us a way to go out there and we're making a switch personally out of arbitrage to owning real estate, as Joey said, as we find ways, because we know banks are not going to lend, right? We're not going to go out That's and right. buy homes the typical way using conventional financing because it's going to be harder to get that money. For anybody, it's going to be harder. So we're, we're going to find properties where people need to get out from under them. And those will be the properties we will pick up subject to or seller finance. So that way we're not with the bank. We're not having to worry about the credit limits out there. And then taking those specific properties that meet our, our, our very tight criteria and putting them into our short-term rental portfolio. We know that there's a lot of information out there for you to follow. We are always thankful that you come here and, and you listen to things that we're sharing. But you've got to understand what your investor DNA is. you got to understand what your investor buy box is. you got to build out a plan. And most importantly, you have to be in community with other people who are doing this. I'm going to call you to action. If you go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash free call, we have coaches that set up 15-minute free calls for you that they can help better understand your situation and determine whether or not we need to strategize in a way to help you figure out what the next right thing is for you or point you to a resource that we've already created to give you the feedback so that maybe that's the next thing for you. So go to wealthwhitewallstreet.com forward slash free call and take advantage of that. Stallion, thank you for jumping on here. Sorry, I, I went a little long-winded. Uh, hopefully that's uh, some, some value in my drawing, even though you weren't listening. <laughs> Uh, that is my fault. I'm, I'm sorry. I was uh, not paying attention there earlier. To, to sum everything up, this month, um, in the month of February 2023, we netted just over $60,000 in our passive income. And uh, that is something that is a little bit higher than what it was last month. We were at 38000 in January. And so looking forward to this year to try to add more and more value to this report, getting more creative in light of some of the uncertainty. We hope that this is valuable to you, like that this is something that you will take action on and and not get caught reacting to the market all the time, right? Having a plan, like Russ said, and getting very clear on what's what your position is going to be going forward. That's what we're about. That's what we want to continue to share this with you, not because we're perfect or we have it all figured out, because we want to be one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. Like that's exactly how we think about this. And um, hopefully you've gained value today. Anything else you want to add before we shut this down today, Rush? No, man. Let's, let, let's get to the next podcast. Hope you'll keep listening. Have an amazing day. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.